Once again, it's time for us to give our attention to the Word of God. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share the Word of the Lord with you today, and I pray that this Word touches and encourages your heart. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you from the book of Luke, chapter 13. We're beginning at verse 10. Uh, don't worry about turning in your Bible. This is what it says. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. Give us understanding and give us the resolve to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about something today that's been pretty heavy on my heart. There's this prominent definition of Christianity, this contemporary definition of Christianity, that reduces the Christian faith to two things. Number one, morality which is to abstain from a particular list of sins. By and large in our culture, Christian morality is defined by the pursuit of sexual purity and freedom from substances, drugs, alcohol, so forth. So number one, that's morality. If you can stay sexually clean and if you can stay clean from substance addictions, you are a moral person. And then, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, that kind of stuff. And then the second component of the Christian faith that's a part of that prominent definition is participation in a prescribed list of Christian activities, like attending church services, giving offerings, um, you know, praying, attending prayer meetings, Bible studies, small groups, serving a ministry. So if you participate in this prescribed list of Christian activities and you abstain from participation in this prescribed list of sins, you are perceived to be a Christian. Now there's at least two very important things that are missing from this definition of Christianity. The first if you've been around Living Hope for any time at all, you can guess what it is. That's an encounter with the living presence of God. So I would say very clearly that the definition of the Christian faith is more than morality, but knowing God and encountering Him in the reality of who He is. So that's extremely important. That's core to the ethos of who we are as a church contending for uh, that kind of encounter with God. And so uh, that kind of goes without saying. But the, the fourth piece to the puzzle is something that I've known for years that I, I have in many ways neglected. You haven't heard a lot from me on this fourth piece of the puzzle. And it's an essential piece. I feel like for years I've been mustering up the courage, wisdom, 
and understanding to add this fourth piece of the puzzle in a formidable way. And over the last year especially, I have felt stirred by the Spirit of God that this is the time and this is the season to begin speaking more clearly and consistently on this fourth piece of the puzzle. And this fourth piece of the puzzle is justice. I'm going to give you a, a brief history before we turn to Scripture. I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you go back to the mid to late 1800s, the evangelical church was at the forefront of the justice movement, specifically the Methodists. And as many of you know, we are a free Methodist church. We recently joined the Free Methodist Church a year ago. But in 1860, the Free Methodist Church was born. And one of the reasons that the Free Methodist Church was born in 1860 is because we wanted the freedom to actively advocate and fight for the abolition of slavery. And the leadership of the Methodist Episcopal Church did not wish to do so. And so we were on the forefront of the justice movement and actually in many sectors of what we would call evangelical Christianity, justice was on the front burner. It was on the forefront. But by the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s, liberalism began to emphasize justice above evangelism. Matter of fact, liberalism threw evangelism out and said it's not about evangelism, it's just about justice. Well, the evangelical church responded to that, reacted to that really by saying, no, 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 it's not about justice, it's just about evangelism. And so what happened in the early 1900s is that the evangelical church by and large threw out justice and just focused on righteousness. Righteousness, personal righteousness, meaning morality. Stopped fighting for justice, stopped advocating against the injustices that were happening in our own home soil, especially, and just focused on evangelism and personal righteousness. So there was this bifurcation at the beginning of the 1900s between the justice movement and the righteousness movement. One opted for one and the other opted for the other. In the mid-1900s, the evangelical church began to recover its cry for justice, but in the form of foreign missions. So, yes, we will uh, stand for justice. Uh, we'll stand for justice for orphans uh, in third world countries. And so you had uh, organizations like World Vision and Compassion International and so forth uh, that begin to press for justice. Well, there's an awakening that started happening at the beginning of the 21st century. The church is beginning to awaken to the cry of the Spirit of God for righteousness and justice. And not just in the third world, but also in the first world. I want to read a couple passages of scripture to you that I think are very important as we consider this. First of all, uh, the one that comes quickly to mind is um, this is in Jeremiah. It's interesting, I don't have the chapter on here. But he's, I think it's chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, I believe, and it started beginning at uh, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor the mighty man glory in his might, nor the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he knows me and understands me, that I am the Lord who executes loving kindness, righteousness, and justice for in these I delight. He doesn't just delight in righteousness. He also delights in justice. Look, a couple more. Psalm 33, 5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. 
How about this one? Isaiah 56, 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. He says, you've got to keep justice and do righteousness. You cannot ignore justice and simply focus on righteousness. How about this one? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it but now murderers. I could go on and on. Psalm 97.2 and Psalm 89.14 both say the same thing, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God cares not just for righteousness. He cares for justice. And this is the place where the church in America has for too long gotten it wrong because we will call for righteousness in a second, but we are reticent to call for justice. I'm a little at a loss for words. You all know what's happened this week and where I'm actually going with this message. Ahmad Arbery. What happened there kicked me in the emotional stomach so hard I can barely breathe. Because it's not an isolated situation. It's not simply a solitary miscarriage of justice. But it's a part of a systemic miscarriage of justice that has been the reality in this country for hundreds of years. Now you might hear that and say, things have gotten a lot better. But the incremental application of justice is not good enough. Those of us who cry for righteousness, do we also cry for justice? Those of us who are willing to stand on the wall and call out unrighteousness, are we also willing to stand on the wall and call out injustice? The kingdom of God is not just about personal righteousness. It's also about justice. And at the end of the day, in iteration of the Christian faith, that focuses on righteousness and ignores justice is legalism. Let me show you. Let's go back to the passage of scripture that I read at the beginning of this message. Jesus is teaching in this synagogue. This is in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. And there's a woman that the scripture describes the scripture describes as having a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. She was bent over and she was in no what she could in no way raise herself up. The phrase they used to use, people used to say all the time, what's wrong with the African American community? Why can't you just Raise yourself up by your own bootstraps. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. aptly replied, It is a cruel jest to say to a man with no boots that he must raise himself up by his own bootstraps. This woman was bent over and could in no ways raise herself up. 
Jesus sees her situation not simply as a sickness, but as an injustice. He sees her situation not simply as a condition of sickness, but as a demonic oppression. The scripture said here she had a spirit of infirmity. Verse 12 says, but when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But listen to what the ruler of the synagogue says. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. You see, this man was only concerned about righteousness and righteousness to him was about obeying the letter of the law. He felt that this violated personal righteousness. He was indignant, even though it was God, obviously, who had healed this woman. Even though it was the clear, he was staring the clear work of God in the eye. But to him, because it violated his personal code of righteousness, it couldn't be right. He answers with indignance. There's six days on which you can be healed. Come on those, but not on the Sabbath day. Jesus looks at him and says, you hypocrite. Why is he a hypocrite? Because he cares about righteousness but not about justice. I remember when the Black Lives Matter movement was uh, just picking up steam. And there were all of these protests. Shutting down freeways, and so on and so forth. Demonstrations. And uh, I was a bit disheartened because so many of individuals that I knew were posting on Facebook indignant at the protesters. And many of whom were calling out MLK. You guys need to go back and read MLK. This isn't the way you protest. This isn't the way to do it. But yet, Trayvon Martin, uh, I didn't see a single one of them post anything about him. Uh, Eric Garner, not a word. You can't decry injustice, but you can decry unrighteousness. That's called legalism. And it makes you a hypocrite. Jesus, over and over again, demonstrating a love of not only righteousness, but justice. Like the woman who was caught in adultery, they tried to hold him to the letter of the law. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Moses says that we should be stoned. Jesus takes one look at the situation and sees the injustice of it and refuses to condemn her. He says, all right, all right. Moses says she should be stoned, right? They're like, yep, that's what he said. He said, okay, good. All I need is one of you guys who has no sin to cast the first stone. And they left one by one. Jesus looks up and sees the woman by herself. And he says, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Is there no one left to condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is crazy. Neither do I condemn you, meaning I'm not going to participate in the injustice of what they were trying to do to you. But then he says, but go and sin no more. Meaning the fact that I refuse to condemn you doesn't mean I don't care about righteousness. I care about righteousness. Go and sin no more. But I also care about justice. Neither do I condemn you. He cares about righteousness and justice. And we're living in a day and age in our country 
in which we are witnessing the perpetual miscarriage of justice. And my question to us today is, will we cry against, righteous, against unrighteousness, but fail to cry against injustice? Do we care about personal righteousness only, but not about justice? You know, I love looking at the interactions between Jesus and women. Because the justice issue of that day was the ill treatment of women. Jesus talks to women in public. Jewish men would never speak to a woman in public. Jesus lays his hands on this woman. A Jewish man would never touch a woman, and especially in public. He says to this woman, you are loosed of your affliction. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. The woman, the widow of Nain, he raises her son to life. His best friends were Mary and Martha. You know what Jesus was doing in his interactions with women? He was addressing the key justice issue of his day. He was attacking. At one point, he called out the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19 because of the way they divorced. Do you realize that in that day, in order to divorce your wife, all you had to do was say, I divorced you three times, and it was official she was divorced? And Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 19, Moses gave you this, this ability to divorce, to write a certificate of divorce. He says, Moses granted that to you out of, because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, have you not read that the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has put together, let not man separate. You see what Jesus did? He saw the way they were divorcing their wives as an injustice, and he was coming right at the key, the core justice issue of the day. You're not treating your women right. He modeled justice in his relationships. When he saw injustice, he called the perpetuators hypocrites to their face. And this is Mother's Day. It's a day for us to celebrate our mothers. And to celebrate our mothers, we need look no further than the example of Jesus and how he treated women. And here, this woman when the ruler of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus healed her on the Sabbath, Jesus says, now I'm going to deal with this injustice issue. You hypocrite. You care more about your oxen than you care about this woman. You care more about righteousness than you care about justice. You care more about living up to a standard of purity than you care about men and women who are being subjected to injustice. As an African-American man, it is impossible for me to look at this situation with Ahmaud Arbery and view it apart from the history of injustice of white supremacy and of hatred that we have been subject subjected to in this country. And here's what makes it all the more poignant. You know, the uh, African-American kid and mother, father, and son who shot that security guard. It's horrible. And some people might say to me, you know, I, you, why don't you why don't you call out the, the atrocities of African-Americans? You're right, there's, there's many. But you know what the difference is? That young man and his mom and dad, you know where they are right now? They're in jail. But what often happens most of the time in a situation like what happened with Ahmaud Arbery is that the justice system 
in our country vindicates, refuses to prosecute, refuses to hold accountable those who take black lives. And it's wrong. Now, PB, don't get political now. You're supposed to be preaching the gospel. You hypocrite. You care about righteousness, but you don't care about justice. And you think that the Lord only cares about the fact that you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls who do. That is a hypocritical form of Christianity. It's legalism. It's pharisaical. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And if he's called us to stand for righteousness, he's also called us to stand for justice. But I have good news. The gospel is always good news. And I know this isn't the kind of sermon that you're used to from me. I haven't even gotten preachy. (laughs) I know that I rarely speak to current events as well. But there's good news. There's always good news. And let me tell you what the good news is. The good news is that God is the judge of all the earth. The good news is that he is righteous and that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Do you know what that means? That means that nobody ever gets away with anything. And that means that we do not ultimately have to mourn any miscarriage of justice because all miscarriages of justice are only temporary. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. You see, this woman in the synagogue that day was living in a day and in a time in which no one was going to help straighten her up. There was going to be no justice for her in the earth. I was thinking about how in African-American Christianity, if you look in African-American, uh, in the African-American versions of Christianity, there's, it, look at the hymnody, there's so many songs about heaven. And the reason there's so many songs about heaven, about dying and about going to heaven, is because there has been no hope for justice in the earth. There's been no expectation of any, of the coming of any justice in the earth. And so we had to set our sights for so many decades and even centuries. We had to set our sights on a heaven in the here after because there was no hope for justice in the earth. But this woman on this day in this synagogue, even though there was no hope for her in the earth, no one was going to help her in the earth. No one felt sorry for her in the earth. But Jesus was standing in her midst that day. And he singles her out. And he calls her out. And I could just feel this woman, the angst that she felt, feeling like, why is he focusing on me? Doesn't he know, man, the the ruler of the synagogue is going to get mad about this. I'm probably going to get in trouble over this. People are going to feel like, you know, why is he focusing on this woman? But Jesus doesn't care. He looks her right in the eye and says, your life matters. You hypocrite. Don't you go out on the Sabbath and untie your donkey or your your oxen and lead it to water? Then why shouldn't this woman who has been in this, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, Jesus looked at her infirmity and said, this is satanic. Do you realize that every form of oppression, be it societal, be it physical, be it mental, be it emotional, be it relational, every form of oppression is satanic at its core. Jesus says, this woman, who's a daughter of Abraham, ought she not, ought she not to be set free from her condition on the Sabbath? 
Do you hear what Jesus was saying? She deserves better than this. Jesus is saying this. She deserves better than that condition she was in. Ought she not for Jesus' healing was a justice issue. It was restoration to the divine image. And for so long, we've cried out after righteousness. But now we're going to cry out after justice. Are we going to forsake righteousness? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The idea that you can only have one or the other is a lie from Satan. And it produces hypocrisy because at the end of the day, if you don't care about justice, you actually don't care about righteousness either. And that's what John Wesley said, that justice is simply the societal application of righteousness. You can't have one without the other. There is no righteousness without justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So what is my exhortation to you today? What's the takeaway? Open your heart to justice. But this is the key. I want us to be careful that as we turn our hearts towards justice and open our hearts to justice, as we take back our voices to speak to justice, to cry for justice, and to call out injustice, that we do so without a Messiah complex. I wanted to be careful today not to raise my voice because the fact of the matter is our justice comes from the Lord and we will have justice but we trust in the Lord. And at the core of the Christian faith is this. I believe and therefore I speak. And whatever is not of faith is sin. But if I speak it in faith, I'm speaking a word that I myself have no power to bring to pass. And so I don't carry the burden of that word. It's not going to keep me up at night. You know why? Because this miscarriage of justice that we see in our country today, it's only temporary. Jesus is standing near. And even as he spoke to this woman who was bent over and said, you are loosed of your affliction. I believe the word of the Lord is coming to communities that are bent over. And especially at this hour, the African-American community that has been bent over by oppression for decades and centuries and saying you're loosed of your affliction. You're going to stand up straight now and you're going to be free. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I just speak your blessing over these, your children, whom you have called by your name. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that your love for us is great. And I thank you that on the cross, you took not only our unrighteousness upon yourself, but you also took our injustice. And Lord, the crazy thing is that when you took our injustice, you took not only the injustices that we've suffered, but even those that we have perpetuated. And you put it to death. And in doing so, 
you brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. On behalf of both perpetuator and victim. And Lord, right now I pray by the power of the cross that you would make whole. And that you would bring freedom to every soul that has been bent over by the weight of oppression and injustice. I thank you that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And we give you glory today as we put our trust in you. In the name of your Son and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. let that sit a minute. As you can tell, this was a a difficult message for me to preach. But it's an important message. And I hope you were able to hear my heart even if my words weren't perfect. It's an important time. Can you say something? Yeah. I want us to pray. I just want to pray first before uh, we share a little more. So, Father, we come before you as we are. Father, heal our land. God, heal your church. Heal us, God, from hypocrisy. God, we want to be awakened to your voice, your cry for justice in our land. But, God, we come as honest as we can because we don't even know what to do. And so Holy Spirit, we ask for your spirit to speak life, release your breath, God, upon your church in this land, upon your sons and daughters, God, all different colors, Lord, white, black, Asian, God, all colors, God. Allow us to be awakened to your voice and lead us, God, to the path for your justice, Lord. God, so many of us, God, we've been quiet, not because we didn't care, but because we just did not know what to do. But God, that is not We're not going to just sit there because we don't know what to do, God. We're going to arise. We want to arise, God. We want to speak. We want to, God. God, call out justice, God, in this land. God, we want to honor your heart. God, we don't want the enemy, God, to portray Christianity as something that's not. God, we want Christianity in this land to look like what it is, Lord. So Holy Spirit, empower us, help us, Lord. Teach us, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, I know that this is a very divisive issue as well. Mm. And the divisive nature of this issue is what makes it so difficult for multi-ethnic churches to address it. Yeah. Um, pastors of multi-ethnic churches like ours are often afraid of offending people. And so we kind of create unity in our churches by refusing to address issues that would be divisive. Um, And I've fallen into that camp to a large degree over the last 17 years as the pastor of Living Hope Christian Center. Um, But there's always been something deep on the inside of me 
that longed to have a voice and to speak. Um, and every once in a while, I muster up the courage to speak to it. Every once in a blue moon. Um, and it's always extremely emotional when I do. But um, I was really stirred in the summer during our sabbatical by a couple of things. Number one, uh, reading Dr. Rucker Johnson's book. Uh, Dr. Rucker Johnson is a professor at UC Berkeley in public, the public policy, uh, professor of public policy at UC Berkeley. He used to attend our church. And when he was attending our church, uh, he was in the process of uh, finishing the research for his book. And uh, I had lunch with him a couple times and was really, really excited about his book. And uh, he finally published his book last year. And it was called Children of the Dream. And so I was excited to read it. Well, it just blew me away. It absolutely just uh, devastated me. Um, then after that, in the middle of the summer, actually in August, uh, Sonny and Alethea and I were in Korea, the last leg of our vacation component of our sabbatical. And uh, at the airport on the way home, in the, the Asiana Airlines lounge, um, I ran into, uh, um, why can't I think of his name? Dr. Um, he wrote um, Black Prophetic Fire and... Um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, but I got to meet him, and, and um, I'll think of his name in a second. Uh, we were on the plane together. Uh, fact checker, can you look that up? Cornell West. Yes, Dr. Cornell West. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I, I, he walked right by me, and I was like, wait a minute, that looks like Dr. Cornell West. And sure enough, um, I ran into him in the bathroom a few minutes later, <clears throat> and uh, I got to talk to him and take a picture with him. And then noticed he was on the plane that we were on, just a few seats in front of us, and so I, I, I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to sit next to him and talk to him this, this whole flight? But I thought, you know what? I can read his book. And so I spent the whole flight uh, reading his book on Black Prophetic Fire. And uh, it just absolutely blew me away. Then I got home and I read Sun Chun Ra's book, Return to Justice. And, hmm. and the, you know, the, the story about how the evangelical church forsook justice in exchange for evangelism uh, that was outlined and explained in detail in Dr. Soon Chun Ra's book, uh, Return to Justice. So there were all these strands that were coming together, and as these questions were being answered in my heart, the history was becoming clear. Uh, what the Holy Spirit has been doing in me is um, building up within me not only the courage, but the understanding and the wisdom to begin to speak to this justice issue in a more formidable way. And um, with the whole explosion in the media of the Ahmad Arbery case, um, I felt so strongly this week that I actually had a whole nother sermon prepared and I actually uh, preached it and it, it fell apart. I actually uh, <laughs> was trying to pre-record it and it, it all fell apart. And some of you were on a Zoom call with me when I was trying to do that. We'll try it again next week maybe. But... Um, when it fell apart at first, I thought that Satan had triumphed over that, that, <laughs> that uh, moment. And then I realized that it was the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to my heart. My wife had been coming to me for a couple of days saying, baby, you gotta address this issue. Uh, you can't be silent about this. And every time she would bring it up, I would just leave the room because it was so emotionally difficult for me to face this happened again. Um, I remember the whole Trayvon Martin situation and there was the Eric Garner situation and the Philando Castile situation and all of these, all of these moments that um, uh, each time it just kind of hits you in the chest, in the emotional chest, um, so hard. And um, Osagi, no, I didn't take a picture with him in the bathroom. I took a picture with him outside of the bathroom. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but uh, I believe this is the beginning, and it's it's not only the beginning of me being being able to preach on these things more and address these situations, but I believe it's the beginning of conver uh, conversations. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, be calm in this message and not raise my voice and shout because I'm actually not trying to raise a militant cry. 
yeah. that calls us to militants. Um, I believe that our conversations should happen in love. Mm. Um, and I, the, the encouragement I wanted to give you is that those of you who heard and agreed th with this message, and I know that there are many of you who do, and you're, you're, I see you in the chat here, and uh, I'm very thankful for your, your words. They strengthen me and they encourage me. Uh, they give me strength. Um, but I want to encourage you um, not to engage in angry argumentation yeah. with those who do not agree. And I know that there are some, even within our own church, for whom this message was very difficult because you have a very different perspective. Yeah. I want us to begin to engage in fruitful conversations that without bitterness, hmm. uh, without vitriol, hmm. because one of the greatest problems in our country is the inability to converse with the other side. The inability to talk to people who have a different perspective yeah, from that's you. It. Uh, what we tend to do is anyone who has a different perspective is an idiot. Hmm. And um, so what I do not want in a, in a church as diverse as ours, I know there's people who have different perspectives who might even be uh, intensely troubled by the things that I uh, spoke here and might even be thinking, what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? Mm. And I want to say that I want us to have open communication and conversation about these things uh, without bitterness, yeah. without fear. Um, at the end of the day, it's only controversy when it becomes um, combative. Yeah. Otherwise, it's conversation. And there can be conversation without controversy. Yeah. And that's what we desire. Yeah. I think I just want to say as an Asian American, I will never fully understand what's going on inside of his head and inside of his heart. But I do... Uh, my experience when often Benjamin goes out to ride a bike or go walk the dog, I, I have to face the reality that I do get scared. That what if he's at the wrong place at the wrong time? And you know, so in being married to him um, all these years, I do worry for the safety of my husband when he's out and about. Um, but I think I kind of, not fully, but maybe just a little bit, I understand because of this pandemic uh, that for the first time in my life, I get scared when I go running or jogging around this neighborhood when I'm walking the dog because I've seen too many videos of Asian women getting, getting kicked in their head because of the pandemic. So I may not fully understand, but I do a little bit. Right. And I fear for my wife. Like every time you go out to walk the dog or go mm -hmm. for a walk, I'm afraid some idiot. And yes, I, I don't call people idiots who have a different perspective, but people who attack people because they're Asian or because they're black or because they're a different skin color, blame them for the coronavirus. They're idiots. I, I can say that, right? <laughs> and I'm scared that some idiot's going to mm -hmm. attack my wife because she's got Asian skin, you know? And this is why this message, I, I never even got to it in the message because my mind was going in so many different directions. This is why this message is in the Not Today Satan series. Yeah. Because white supremacy and every form of racism is demonic and satanic. Yeah. And whenever we expose the work of the devil, we are effectively saying, Not, Not today, today, Satan. Satan. Satan hates being exposed. Yeah. He can't stand being exposed. That's why Jesus, when he was casting the devil out of the, the garrison demoniac, he said, what is your name? Yeah. He spoke to the demons. He said, what is your name? Yeah. He exposed them by yeah. calling their names. Well, this demon's name is white supremacy mm. or racism. Mm. And so we can't, and this is the thing. Historically, there has always been pressure on the church to be neutral. Yeah. Even during Hitler's regime, wow. there was pressure on the church to be neutral. And matter of fact, in Germany, during the time of Hitler, even when Hitler was rounding up Jews mm. and killing them, exterminating them in concentration camps, mm. Mm. by and large, the church of Germany was mm. silent. Yeah. Because we can't be political. We must be neutral. And so um, that demonic force mm. that hates justice has 
for centuries, really millennia, sought to keep the church silent in the yeah. face of injustice. And, uh, and we're exposing it today. That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, I just want to also recognize that we're not against whites. No. We love, I mean, we have friends. We have best friends. We have pastor friends. Mm. We have church members mm. that love the Lord, that love the justice. So I want you guys to know, just because we're speaking this out, that we're minority that's against, um, no. But I do want to say is, I mean, I am very thankful. I felt very strengthened when our friends like John Hansen, right? Mm. Or different Bill Johnson, they're not our friends, but I've seen him post against this injustice. Like when they do, when our white friends do rise up mm. and speak justice um, and we'll call out this injustice it does strengthen us but i do want to say the spirit behind racism mm. spirit behind injustice is satanic yep. because no matter what color we are black white yellow it doesn't matter no matter what color we are we are all we were all created in god's image and the spirit of racism be, is really actually attacking the image of god yep. So can we just spend some time praying? Is that okay? Or you have something more to say before we pray? Um, I wanted to say one more thing. Okay. I, I think, um, yeah, I wanted to just follow up with my, what my wife said. This is not an anti-white campaign. Yes. Mm. Nor is this the, uh, a campaign to assert that white people are evil. This is not what it is about. Once again, evil does not have a skin color. However, there is a systemic form of demonic oppression mm. that has taken root in our country that the justice system itself mm -hmm. participates in. Mm. That's what we're decrying. So we are not anti-white any more than Jesus was anti-men. Yeah. When Jesus called out the injustices against women that did not make him anti-men, yeah. he was simply pro-justice. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even pro-women. He was pro-justice. Yeah. Right? And so we are not anti-white and we are not pro-black or pro-Asian. We're pro-Jesus. And because we are pro-Jesus, we are pro-justice. And so, um, yeah, just I'm, I'm actually going to do some Facebook Lives this week just here at the table uh, on my Facebook profile. Please be looking out for those because this warrants a more engaged conversation. Yeah. And I think we need to have that conversation now. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing, just one point about the Ahmad Arbery, because I realized I threw out the Ahmad Arbery thing, but I kind of assumed that you get it. And um, the, there's really two components to the, the Ahmad Arbery situation that are troubling. The first is that he was stopped at all. Yeah. And the second was that those who killed him were not arrested for more than two months, for 74 days. So the first had to do with racial profiling. Now, you might dispute that. Some people say, well, that can't be proved. It may or may not have been the case, but it can't be proved. Okay. But the second has to do with the systemic injustice perpetuated by the justice system. Because... There really is no arguing against the fact that those two men should have been arrested immediately. And if you think otherwise, you need to stop and ask yourself, why? Because you say, well, they were making a, a citizen's arrest. In the state of Georgia, they did not meet the criteria for a citizen's arrest. In order to make a legal citizen's arrest, you had to see someone committing a crime and trying to flee the scene then you can stop them with a weapon if you have one that is licensed to you. But if you did not personally witness someone committing a crime, you have no legal grounds to detain them with weapons. And when you detain someone with a weapon whom you did not witness in the act of a crime, it's called kidnapping. Yeah. And if you accidentally kill that person, even if you didn't intend to, while detaining them illegally, it's called felony murder. So the justice system ignored 
these things for 74 days. And you have to ask yourself why. What is it in the system that perverts justice traditionally and historically against uh, per, that perverts justice on behalf of African-American lives that are lost. So um, we don't have time for a whole conversation on that, but we'll talk more about it. Um, thank you all so much for giving us the opportunity to share our hearts on this thing. And uh, yes, I'm going to allow my wife here to lead us in prayer and we'll end this time now. And we encourage you to have Zoom get togethers with one another of different colors and in loving, uh, have conversations about your struggles, you know, um, your pain, and let's, let's walk this out together. Amen? Let's walk this out together, family. And um, in those conversations, if you feel offended, before you lash out, I want you to think about this, that I heard somebody say this a couple of weeks ago. God offends our minds so to reveal what's in our heart. Mm. And so if you're offended, mm. then there's something inside of you that God wants to deal with. So I want you to like kind of go before God with it. Um, but other than that, let's be a house of God that awakens to God's cry for justice. And let's ask God to direct our steps. Amen. So I want to ask you, if you are able where you're at, Benjamin, you don't have to. You're too big. I'm going <laughs> to, this is a bench, so it'll be hard for you. I want to go on my knees. And if you are able where you're at, can you go on your knees? And can we just go before God? Let's just ask God to forgive this land, and let's ask God for his grace and mercy for our African-American brothers and sisters all over, not just in the United States. Uh, Michael talked about our African-American brothers in China that's been being blamed for coronavirus that, that are being kicked out. Wherever you are, we know, we feel your pain. We feel, we, we, we may not fully understand, but we feel it. And can we just lift up uh, our, our hands, go on our knees, however you are able to prophetically just position yourselves. God, God, we come before you. We humbly come before you. And we ask, Lord, that you will forgive us, God. Forgive us from hypocrisy, Lord. Even in my heart, Lord, God, there are many times where I judge my African-American brothers and sisters. God, just in my marriage with Benjamin, Lord. God, forgive us, Lord. God, we we often we make judgments because we do not understand and we do not know so forgive us god forgive us forgive us forgive us god from hypocrisy lord and we admit and we acknowledge god god that that we need your mercy and grace and so father right now god we come as a house on our knees asking for your special touch upon our African-American brothers and sisters that are uh, experiencing this deep pain where it's so hard for them to even face it. God, I saw that in my husband past couple of weeks, Lord. I saw that deep pain. So Father, we come and we ask for your healing touch upon their hearts. No matter where they're at, Lord. God, will you come? God, will you speak? Just like Benjamin preached earlier today, God, that you are God of justice. That you're not going to turn your head away from injustice, God. And so right now we ask, Lord, that you will strengthen the hearts of your sons and daughters, Lord. And we ask for the blood of Jesus to cover us. 
that you would, God, unite the church, that you would unite your sons and daughters, God, no matter what we believe, no matter what, God, uh, we value, God, no matter what uh, historical background that we come from, no matter what color we are, God, Spirit of God, release the spirit of unity upon your house. Spirit of God, heal our land. Spirit of God, have mercy upon us this day. And we do ask for justice. We do ask for justice, Lord. For Arbery, God, family, we ask for justice. We pray for his mother. We pray for his family and friends. We ask for supernatural strength, comfort, and we cry out with them for your justice yes, God. for his life. Yes, God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. To all the mothers out there, we honor you. We're so thankful for you. God bless you.